Hello, all CoveyCast listeners. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm so excited to bring to you an amazing reinvention story today with Claire Cook. Claire Cook is that person you see sitting out in the minivan, writing in her diary or writing on her iPad. She's just a mom hanging out, but she has another dream of what she wants to do. She loved being a mom, but she wanted to write a book. And she did. And she did it in the minivan during swim practice. And she now has just dozens of books under her belt. And she is just an incredible inspiration for anybody who really wants to start their reinvention while they're doing their job. And it could be motherhood or it could be another kind of thing. You know, writing in her minivan was her side hustle, as our kids like to call it. And, you know, when she started this, she was the the book publishing world was still the old fashioned thing where you had to go find an agent. And she actually did because she had a killer pitch letter and she talks about it. And but what she says is today you don't have to go that route. Anyway, I have a wonderful conversation with her. She's incredibly inspirational. She now runs her own publishing group for her books, took them all back from the big publishers. She could do it better. And she is just amazing. So I want to welcome Claire Cook. So good morning, Claire Cook. I'm so glad to have you here to talk about your reinvention. Good morning, Leslie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And I've been watching your reinvention, by the way. I'm so happy for you and I'm cheering you on. Thank you. It has been a lesson in life and it's so exciting. We <laughs> actually launched last Friday. So after many fits and starts, uh, congratulations. Oh Hamster wheel and it's crazy. <laughs> Things are falling okay. from the ceiling, but we're going to get there. So what I, I really want to talk to you about, since you're the ultimate um, reinvention expert, is <laughs> you became a writer at 45 mm -hmm. and you were just a mom hanging out doing your thing, right? Well, in a way I was, but the truth, which I think is so often the case in, in our reinventions, is that I knew, I had known that I wanted to be a writer from the time I was a little girl, and I did all the right things and, you know, went to all the right schools, and then I just panicked. I choked, and oh, I hid from the thing that I was born to do for um, decades. So, you know, I just like to tell that story because so many, many women do the same thing. And I kind of, it's not that I was just sitting around being a mom, not that that's, I mean, that's a wonderful thing, but I was doing that. I was also working full time. I was a teacher for 16 years. I won awards. I did all of that, but I was in the wrong pond because I was so afraid to jump into the right one. And, and so, you know, yes and no. I think that becoming a novelist and then later um, a nonfiction writer too, I was the thing I most wanted to do and the thing that most terrified me. And I think that's a very common, um, you know, thing that we, that we hit. And for me, it was kind of the, um, 
that wake up, that midlife wake up call, it just hit me that, oh my gosh, I might be one of those people with this big dream that never even goes for it. You know, I wasn't even writing anything. I was, I always say, if I um, owe anyone a thank you note from back then, I didn't even write thank you notes. Anything to do with oh writing. Oh my God, me really? Out. Okay. Yeah, it was so, bad. It so was bad. I was you... just completely hidden. And, so, um, you know, so I, I think first, I hear that story well, from women all the time. And I like to so, be able to say, you know what, it, it, there is still time. It's never too late to do it. And um, 45 was fine. And in some ways, I appreciate this journey so much more because I this is the career I almost didn't have. So what was the wake-up call for you? Because a lot of people do put off going for their ultimate dream, I suppose, because they're afraid of being shot down and they're not getting the support they need or they don't have the opportunities come their way. What well, was the turning point they listen to all the you? naysayers, you know? They listen to, oh my gosh, the people who told me, you can't get published without connections. It's who you know. It's da-da-da-da-da. There are just so many of those things out there. And I think I partly listened. And I also think that fear of success and fear of failure are the flip side of a coin. And I was yes. just in all this, you know, turmoil of both. I don't did I was so afraid I didn't even know what I was afraid of. And so I just pretended not, you know, if you had met me back then, you would not have realized any of this. I was acting as if everything was going great and I loved my life and I loved my job and meanwhile I had this pain in my stomach, you know. I mean, it was a real visceral thing. I could feel it. So anyway, for me, there was this one very specific day. Um, I was a teacher at one school consulting for two others. My daughter was a sw uh, on a national swim team. She was swimming twice a day, um, uh, you know, six days a week. My son was doing karate and, you know, all the suburban mom stuff and soccer. So one morning, my um, the only free time I had was 5.30 to 6.45 in the morning while she was swimming her morning shift before I went to, to work. Um, and so one morning I was watching all the kids swimming back and forth and back and forth and all the parents who were, you know, um, metaphorically in the pool with them, you know, which kids yes. are going to make the Olympics. Oh my and, God, yes. Yes. And I was, I was there. I was one of them. And all of a sudden it hit me that I might live my whole life like this. And what I really needed was to get a life. And um, so one cold New England winter, I sat outside in my minivan, if you want a suburban story, um, during that swim practice and wrote the draft of my first book. I think it was just that, like a tsunami of... Um, of midlife just hitting me like, oh, you're going to be one of those people who never does it. And so, um, you know, it was me all those decades. I, you know, uh, I was the one standing in my own way. And when I wrote my first book, it actually sold to the first publisher who asked to read it. And I only tell that because it was just so clear that I was the one um, sabotaging myself. So meanwhile, that my first book was published when I was 45, as you said, in the year 2000. And then I walked, the, so the year I turned 50, I walked the red carpet at the Hollywood premiere of Must Love Dogs. And I'm now 63 and proud of it. I just turned it on Valentine's Day. And um, I'm the you know, Times Best Selling Author of 18 Books. <laughs> 
So it's like, you can do it. Anyone listening now, you can totally do it. I had no connections. I still know no one. I don't know a single, you know, I don't know anyone except my readers and um, it can happen. So just believe in yourself. And um, if I, I made every mistake How, in the book. Give us the, give us the steps though, because I do talk yes. to an awful lot of um, members and former more magazine readers who wanted to be writers. They write something, they don't know how to get to an agent. They don't know, well, how did you break through that? Because I that didn't. is the big barrier. I didn't though, this is the crazy thing. Back before um, it was possible, I mean, very the gatekeepers are definitely gone now. So if you cannot get traditional publishing interested in you, you can, I think it's wonderful. I am so grateful for my traditional publishing days, but you can do it without it now. I know lots of authors who are rocking it, but for me, I was so impatient. It was just crazy. I finally wrote this book. I wanted it out there. So I reached out to several agents um, because I, this was, again, it's so much easier now. You can find contact info on any agent, literary agent who's out there on any publisher. Um, but in 2000, it was much harder. So right. I had that book, you know, um, that comes out every year about, um, you know, publishers marketplace. And I flipped through that and I found, I, I wrote to exactly two agents cause they were so famous that even I had heard of them. And one of them wrote back to me right away. And she said, dear Claire, if your novel is half as funny as your query letter, you will definitely find someone. However, it won't wow. be me. And I was like, oh my God, you know, two, and the other one I never heard from. So you so just like, wrote a kill query letter you didn't even yeah, send well, you know I think that's really important I always feel we get stuck in this place where we want everyone to get us and everyone to love our books and to want what we're doing whatever that is we we really don't we want the people to be in or out and I think that's important in, in your Twitter profile in your Facebook profile in your query letters if you um, if you see me anywhere at the grocery store or, um, you know, on social media, you will be in or you will be out. I mean, I, Claire Cook wrote her first novel in her minivan, Walk the Red Carpet with Must Love Dogs, um, It's Never Too Late to Shine On, would basically be my bio. So you're in or you're out if that doesn't appeal to you. But I'll tell you, every week I get letters saying, thank you, thank you for the hope. And that's in a teeny little yes. bio. So. Yes. Yes. In my query letter, it sound it was self-deprecating. I said I can. I said something like I can only hope George Eliot's "It's Never You Know Too Late to Be What You Might Have Been" is true because otherwise I'm in huge trouble here. And then I, you know, told my dysfunctional story and told a little bit about the book and and I did it in my voice. Now an agent or an an editor could look at that and just be like, Ugh, "Who is she?" Well, fine. That that's not my. You you know, she's, that's not my person, that's not my connection. But the person who would get it would get it immediately. So I think that's a really, really important thing for anything listening. You be who you really are. It's all about, you know, we talk about branding, but it's really authenticity. Don't hide it, don't try to water it down. And the more yeah. you're saying, be you because you, you know, my readers love my stuff, but people who don't read my books don't, I am not trying to appeal to them. I hope they find another author and they live happily right. ever after, but I'm not the one. If I tried to water down everything I did to appeal to everyone, 
I'd appeal to no one. So that I think was and that's part of the problem. And isn't that part of the problem out in publishing day, which is like, oh, this is too niche. We can't take you on. It's not going to make any money. It's too uh, small. Uh, you know. Yes, and and my story after many wonderful years with all the big publishers. Um, the world has changed again, and I actually walked away and spent two and a half, I hired a lawyer, went after my backlist, I now own um, 15 of my 18 books, and I have my own little um, niche publishing company now, just for my stuff, and um, it's gone oh, tremendously, wow. and my readers, I just feel now, if I want to write a book, um, you know, I wanted to write my two nonfiction books, Never Too Late and Shine On, and for years, and my publishers, wonderful as they were and supportive as they were, just kept saying, oh, but Claire, everyone loves your novels. Um, but I knew my readers would know that my novels are about reinvention and so are my nonfiction books and I just wanted to share more directly. So now I can get an idea and just do it. So, um, but I do have to say the time I spend, I feel like I had the best internship in the world being with all the big publishers, I learned so much. Anytime anybody dropped a ball, I learned a new skill. Anytime someone did something brilliant, I took notes. And mm -hmm. um, so I really think if you can go the traditional route in your reinvention to begin with, you'll learn a ton. But if those doors don't open, open some other doors yourself. It's completely possible. The gatekeepers just aren't there anymore. So, so you basically sat in your minivan. How long did it take you to write mm -hmm. that first book? And it's then six months. Six months. Six um, months. Essentially, okay. and I still my writing process is very similar. That um, I wrote six days a week and just kept moving it forward. So now, when I'm writing a book, um, people. This is one of my most asked questions. I write seven days a week and I do two pages a day. What, wow. what that does for me, and I'm sure people listening are saying, oh my gosh, I can write 20 pages in a day. Well, sure you can, one day, and then you limp around for the rest of the month, you know, or for the rest mm -hmm. of the week. But what I find is if I'm just nudging it along, it's like I'm living in that book. I'm... Um, I'm just thinking about it all the time. So if I'm in the shower, I'm on the elliptical machine, I get an idea because I'm just living there. And um, I don't stress because even if I have, you know, four interviews in a day or I have a family thing that I'm doing or whatever, um, I can still get two pages done. It's completely possible. I also like to get up first thing in the morning before the rest of the world wakes up, pour my, and I think this may go back to my swim mom days, and I, you know, uh, uh -huh. grab a handful of nuts, pour a cup of coffee, sit down at my computer and get to work. I do not check email first. I do not, I, I always say, you know, Smart. That's later, such a waste. It's such a later. sinkhole and a waste of your energy and time in the morning, isn't it? Your most creative energy yeah. goes into a pithy tweet. I mean, that's crazy. So I yeah. always do what's the thing that will move me forward? Do it first. And then as soon as it's done, you just can do the rest of your day and you feel great. And sometimes I'm not so great. You know, I try to answer everything on social media. I, all, you know, answer all my emails. But sometimes, um, you know, it might go a little flat. 
but I got my pages done and I just feel that that, you know, you have to bet, you've got to get, find that balance. And I do find, I get, often I get so a lot of reader email and I get these beautiful emails and just, you know, about what my work has meant and what their, this, the reader's story is and goals. And I think, oh, honey, I cannot believe you just put all that time into an email to me. You could have written a chapter with that energy. So, uh -huh. um, you know, now, that, you are so giving classes, correct? Are you still going around giving classes or lectures? Yes, or? yes, actually, that's how we connected when, you know, during your more days that um, more and um, my publisher at the time and Borders, well, Borders was still alive, sent me around doing um, reinvention workshops. But yeah, I am, um, I'm actually, I do them for women's conferences. I do them for universities, um, you know, uh, continuing ed programs, but mostly I do them through my books. I'm, I um, have shared everything I could possibly share. And I've told a lot of other women's reinvention stories in my um, Never Too Late, Your Roadmap to Reinvention. And then I did another nonfiction book called Shine On, How to Grow Awesome and instead of old, about how, you know, really getting into more the creative end on that one of, um, you know, how many of us have forgotten how to play. And sometimes you can have a really good job that is so boring, but you have great yes. benefits and you're not really yeah. that into it. You don't have to leave it. You can create this whole other world around it. And, you know, that was something I had started to become very focused on just writing, writing, writing all day long. So I needed to try a whole bunch of other things just to see if I could do them and to be, um, you know, I, I'm not very good at painting. I'm not very good at, at music, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't be doing them. So, um, I, I, do you think oh, listening to women as you have about reinvention, I think one of the big eye openers for me, for instance, when I, it was clear to me that publishing was just heading downward. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided to go back to school at Columbia and get my master's in sustainability, which I'm only four courses away from finishing oh, soon. Congratulations, oh, good for you. But the, the idea was to take the pressure off of what was happening at work, which was really a lot of locked doors, a lot of men's feet at the top, and a lot of, no, we don't do that, or we can't do that, or it was just no, yeah. no, 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 no. And what yeah. was, I really didn't do it for that reason. I did it because I wanted to think about something else that I had left behind, which was the idea of being a uh, marine biologist when I was in my 20s, which I'd left behind, and I was picking it up kind of like you and your writing. Yeah, and so cool. what was weird is the two were supposed to operate very independently and have nothing to do with each other. And the strange thing was is because I took this new road for all my creativity and for my brain power and all that, it unlocked all these doors that I was banging on in corporate life where I was getting no, 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 and it was so boring and I was just sort of, you know, stirring the soup without thinking much. And weirdly, I did my best work because I got over the barriers. Do you find that, that oh, the two, you started something? Absolutely, that is so true. And um, I, I feel that that's part of that authenticity that, that um, you know, that I, I'm trying to think of like the parallel um, for me, but I think when I took control of my own books, um, each book isn't 
opportunity and now I can kind of write whatever I want because as you said what was happening in the publishing world you're getting no 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 can't do that can't do it this way blah, blah, yes. blah, blah. and my readers and I are just kind of in it together I reach out to them That's and ask great. questions about the book I'm working on but yeah it's just so pure and with each book I feel like I can explore a new um, avenue and a new part of that creativity and all the things and and I just feel uh, that it's um, I, I get so many emails saying oh my god you're writing my life because we're all yeah. living such parallel lives but one of the things um, I was nervous I was one of the first New York Times best-selling authors to step away from traditional publishing and I did not want to get published publicity about it but I got a lot you know all the publishing blogs and everything and um, and people were saying you're crazy you're still getting offers why would you do that but I just kept thinking I'm I'm if I'm gonna be just someone in there whining all the time I need to just walk and try something else and I was just frustrated all the time and it's really hard to write books so if it's not working out go find something easier to do so what instead I went out on my own and I thought okay this might get smaller it may be that I just my readers you know drop away but they didn't they don't actually care who published me publishes they me. don't care they just want to yes. read the next that's book. what well I'm kind of on that same path as you it's yeah. like I have a big publisher you you can build and now it. I'm and coming somehow, back out. Obviously, I don't have 34 fabulous editors. I don't have a multi-million dollar budget. I but have you need my it. You don't need it pay, anymore. And so now what's happening thing. to me, I got back the rights to my audio books too and to my foreign rights. I've been I've spent about two and a half years, you know, just reacquiring my work again so that I could take better care of it. And suddenly I'm, you know, I just signed with a, another foreign foreign agent who's gonna handle that part. I have an audio offer on my body of work and I decided to turn Must Love Dogs into a series so I just kept thinking if I write it um, my readers have been asking for more of these characters for years so the sixth book just came out and I'm now in negotiations for a um, television series and they just oh my god great I mean it may not happen I should I probably jinx myself by saying that no, don't but don't say that it's great we're all in it for you Oh, well, I'm all in it for everybody else, but I just think if it's not happening, so many of us wait for somebody else to do it for us. We don't have to do that anymore. We have the power to just, you know, stand in that power and make it happen. And I make mistakes. I hope I don't sound like I know what I'm doing here because I make mistakes constantly. And that's how you learn. I mean, I have you figured do. out you know so much of it so allow yourself to make those mistakes and then you know oh well I feel you know like I've made just about every mistake there is to make now and then I'm gonna make another one tomorrow so once you get over that that perfectionism thing can completely freeze us so you just have to say okay yes. the mistake is pointing me to the thing that I need to do next and that's okay yes. and yes. Um, own and them and just say oh I guess I embarrassed myself a new way and you know figure it out oh, yes. and people are so oh, yes. nice we launched just... and of course we're launching quietly but we're finding all kinds of holes <laughs> and oh, people are like it? saying you know what I didn't get this I didn't get that how come you that was like okay Zen yes there but we're gonna get there just Zen it's not a corporation it's me it's you have to understand that it's just exactly. little old me and a you know part-time assistant and 
John is helping out, my wonderful nephew here. Oh, doing the podcast. I know, and they're both awesome, you know, awesome. You found great people, and um, yeah, and we can all help each other too. I mean, that's the yes. thing. I, I, um, you know, it was really hard when I started going out on my own because in order to sort of edit my books, you sort uh, once you get to the 18th book, if you haven't read the body of work, someone's going to be, be suggesting, um, you know, something that you've already done and it can just right. get all complicated. But um, it turned out that I had readers who were editors who had already read them. So, I mean, there's just beautiful things in all of it that we can kind of muddle through and figure out on our own. And Well, I hope, um, I, and get, I, hope I get readers as kind as you. In general, I have found that exactly people are sending me wonderful cards and all kinds of stuff. So I think we have the same sure kind of readers. Let me, let me segue over to, because we're getting towards the end here. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I, feel, I forgot about, that we were doing an interview here. I thought we were having coffee somewhere. We are. We are. But let's talk about age. And what were the advantages um, to age and what were the non-advantages to age to reinventing at this point? And be well, real I, honest. Yeah, well, I, I'll be completely honest. Well, I have to say that one of the things I used to say at, at book events and reinvention workshops was choosing your reinvention can be key. Be, and um, I felt lucky that my lifetime, lifelong dream was to be a writer and not a rock star because at 45, that might have been more difficult. So I said that one time and this woman came so up to me. So an appropriate reinvention. Yeah, I mean, think about, yeah. But this woman came after up to me afterwards. I will never, ever, ever forget this. And she said, Claire, that thing you said about being a rock star, I'm still trying to make it in the music world, and she was, you know, my age, and I was mortified. I apologized up and down. Who am I to tell her she's not going to rock this forty to forever women's, you know, band and just, you know, I, we're the audience. It could happen. So yes. I never say that anymore. <laughs> but I That's do right. think age for me. So one of the lucky things, and we forget this, 42 Forever Women are the people who are out there buying things. They have expend some expendable income again. Right. They feel like they deserve treats. So my, I lucked out that when I started writing the books that I wanted to read as a 42 Forever Woman, and um, so the readership was there. I didn't do it on purpose, but if I can pass that along to someone, it could help. You know, I just stumbled into it that I was writing the books that women my age wanted to read because it's what I wanted to read. So well, that's, me, the, that's the big the, fallacy. I'm actually going out to South by Southwest with a friend, Claire, to present oh, the $40 billion market that you've forgotten and overlooked. And, and one of the big issues with Covey Club is to bring, so to bring these women who feel invisible to life. And you know what? We're not invisible. And there's a huge audience. And, you know, I look at, um, you know, a show like um, Grace and Frankie that, that is just starting oh, to yeah. get that little corner audience. We don't have to act younger. I looked at some of, some of my original book covers, which were beautiful, um, that were done by New York publishers. And I kept trying to make them look younger and thinner, uh, thinner. I was just like, yeah. you know, with this yeah, warmer this cover oh, artist, they, they do that oh, no, no, all the time. Yeah. And so I, first of all, 
think that women read my books to find themselves. So when I took control, there are no pictures of other women because I think we want to climb into that book cover and see it. And my books are fun and beachy and inspiring. So that's kind of the direction I took. But I do think for me, I am just in all my other jobs, I was always trying to, you know, maybe fit in like we all do. I mean, I was a little bit out, right. wild and enthusiastic. The kids loved me as a teacher, the other teachers, maybe not always. But um, <laughs> so in writing my own books, I am just out there being me. And part of that is my age. So one of the things that I did, there's a lot of thing about gray hair, no gray hair, but I wrote about it in my um, Shine On book. I just, my hair stopped taking dye. And I just, it ju I would be sitting there for like an hour and a half. They tried every accelerant there was. Wow, never heard my of that. Oh, it's pretty common, and clearly, and my, you know, every colorist that I tried, and everyone had new ideas. Meanwhile, I'm spending a fortune sitting in this chair, and I come out and still see little bits of, you know, grace going through. So I did a hair reinvention, and oh. I did, just did it because it was a pain, and I, I just could not do this anymore. This hair thing was not working; it was not worth it, and so it that was such a journey, and it just um, so many friends of mine said, what are you thinking, Claire? You can't do that. You can't be out speaking like that. But then I get, you know, five letters saying, oh my gosh, I've wanted to do this for years. Thank you for, you know, having the guts to do it so I can watch you go through it. So now I have kind of long gray curly hair and I don't care. And it awesome. hasn't held me back from anything. I've gone to Hollywood meetings looking like this, you know. Awesome. It's fun. Yeah, but you're but you're a big selling author now, so you can you can yeah. do all of that. There's there's I a little No, you know, I think if you pick the right reinvent, I, I'm, and I'm not saying I, if you, if people are dyeing their hair and it looks great, I mean, dye it purple or blonde or platinum, it doesn't matter. Um, so I'm not saying other people should do that, but I, I just feel that we just need to, it's part of that authenticity. And I, yes. um, just feel that I'm, ex it, it, wherever you meet me, I'm going to be exactly who I am. And that's a big part of what's working for me. I'm not trying to fit in anywhere. I remember Good. when I was at the, um, at the so Muscle Dogs. We, we have to get to the end here because oh, I, I promised right. everybody. I was, we just, would... I was just going to say um, one quick little thing that I started in case anyone's listening. But um, Diane sure. Lane came up to me once at a, um, the Must Love Dogs. Um, it was actually a table read. And she put her hand on my, the top that I was wearing. And she said, I love this. Where did you get it? And I said, Marshalls. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> Marshalls. I, I love it. I, you know, I could have made awesome. up a designer, but this is who I am. So I, I, I bought it at Marshalls. Not to be plugging Marshalls, but you know what I mean. So I right. think that authenticity yeah, no, is key. You got to be who you are authentically, and I think yeah. that's fantastic. Now, since one of the authentic things I promised everybody to do, because they were saying that the podcasts were fabulous, but they, you know, they went on too long and they um, didn't finish up with their drive to work or whatever they were doing, so we're trying to get to a half an hour. Yes. So yes. in the last few minutes, two questions. One is, so where does everybody go to buy your books? Obviously not on Amazon. Oh, totally on Amazon, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. okay, I'll put some links then to the books on Amazon. Great, yes. perfect. If you go to clairecook.com, A-I-R-E-C-O-L-K, okay, you can click through to all my books and you can click through to my reinvention page. To your, sorry, we lost you there. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go to clairecook.com, C-L-A-I-R-E-C-O-O-K, and you can click through to all the buy links for my books, and you can get tips for reinvention, right. and you can also read excerpts of all the books to see if they're for you or not. Fantastic. And then in closing, and I'll post some links as well so they can just jump out from Covey Club if they want. Just three tips for very practical tips that you could yes. give to anybody who's listening. Yes. They haven't um, heard uh, everywhere first else. I would say rise above the negativity. Whatever the motive, lots of say people that again. will tell Sorry. you why you can't. Rise above the negativity. Whatever the motive, lots of people will tell you why you can't or shouldn't do whatever it is you want to do. You just have to decide to do it anyway. You might want to protect yourself a little bit in the beginning, too. I didn't tell anyone about my first novel until it was finished. You just don't need anyone's permission. Just do it. Um, and then I've said this a couple times, but be who you really are. I just think if your life isn't working for you, it's you're not the one who needs to change. Just tweak that life until it does. So when who you are and what you do are totally in sync, there's tremendous power in that. Um, another thing is to confound confound expectations. If everybody's doing it, it's already been done. Put a little ah, surprise okay. in everything that you do. Originality counts. So you might not like my books, I hope you do, but um, you won't confuse them with anyone else's because what I, and they're rarely confused, you know, lumped in with other people's books. It's that, it's that surprise, it's that originality, and again, it's that authenticity. Um, another thing is to get your tech together. Um, this, I think, for 40 to Forever Women is so key, and I know how intimidating it can be when I'm teaching a workshop. I see people's eyes glaze over, and I'm like, you're the one I'm talking to. Um, get your computer skills up to speed fast. Everything you need to know about the world you want to conquer can be found online, and a lot of it's free. Take a class, find a computer mentor, you know, research, network, create, get on social media. It can, I can reach, I've built my following, and my wonderful readers can launch my books for me now just because I'm there and I reach out. And the internet is a great equalizer. Liza, there's so many opportunities out there just waiting for us to take advantage of them. And then the final one I'll do really quick, which is a little bit of a, may sound Pollyanna-ish, but I believe it with my whole heart. Do something nice for someone. It's yes. really easy yes, to get it needy. All comes back. It's so easy to get needy when you're struggling to figure out what's next. But many of the great things that have happened to me, including a you know, the Today Show choosing me as a Today's woman, um, were triggered by something nice I did for someone else. People talk, your actions determine what they say. As one of my characters once said, karma is a boomerang, and it's just so true. Awesome. So and so with that, we're going to close. And thank you for bringing your wonderful karma, Claire to Covey Club. Aww. And I'm so glad to talk to you about this incredible reinvention. Well, I'm so glad to talk to you, Leslie, and I'm cheering you on and wishing you the best. And um, thank you, thank you for having me. And I will spread the word to send you even more people. Yay, awesome. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Leslie.
I want to thank you all today for joining us on CoveyCast, and I hope you learned a lot about reinvention from Claire Cook. She is so inspirational, and she will tell you, don't listen to the naysayers. You can do it. There is a naysayer around every corner, and if you have to, hide your light under a barrel until you're ready. Don't tell anybody if you think they're going to laugh at you or they're going to tell you you can't do it. And she says, just do it. What a wonderful message. And I want to thank you all for being here. We are making the podcast shorter. I hope that that will make it easier for you to absorb. Some people told me we were going on to getting out of their car at work and they didn't get to finish. I'm now posting on the Cubby Club uh, site in the podcast channel. You'll get to see all the assets that everybody's talking about, whether it's books or things they read or sites they went to. Before you choose, you don't have to carry a pencil with you while you're jogging down the street listening to our podcast. So many people said that they wanted all that information from the podcast, but they were doing other things, which you're supposed to do. So I will post that. Also appreciate the fact that if you like the Covey cast, please rate us on Podbean or iTunes so that other people can find us. And please put us out to all your friends. And as I will note also, we launched Covey Club fully last Friday at 1.44 p.m. in the afternoon. Not that I'm keeping track. And it's a slow, quiet launch, but if you are excited about it, please come to the actual CubbyClub.com site and join in. We have three different levels for you to join, and I hope you will become part of the Cubby Club crowd. We are quickly building a community, and the podcast is just part of it. And if you are a fabulous reinventor, and if you have a quirky, wacky, wild reinvention story, please reach out to me. Um, so I can tell your story. It's Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at CubbyClub.com. And lastly, I want to say, because Claire talked in her interview about having to learn tech, which you need to do, and some of us have were born on the other side of the digital divide, remember, you can also get help. And I want to thank my wonderful nephew, John Alba, who's the producer on this podcast, when I finally said to him, he said, Aunt, Aunt Leslie, all you have to do is buy these five things, plug them into your computer, and you can do it all by yourself. And I said, John, one more piece of tech before I launch this site. And he said, I will do it for you. And that is how these podcasts have happened. So I want to thank John, and I hope you all will thank him as well. And you can see him as a sportscaster in Fox News in Maine. So thank you, John, and talk to you all later.